and welcome to Artist Materialist, the podcast about that long read you didn't have time to read. I'm Susanna, an artist and graphic designer. I'm Dan, a material scientist. And today we are discussing an article from the New York Times style section, Can You Curate a Town? by Jennifer Miller. And this is an article about the phenomenon of people buying up unused real estate on main streets, or in one case, an entire abandoned town, and reimagining it for tourists and a new kind of people to come in and revitalize the town. And notice that the tag they put on it is American Glamping, which yeah. is a very <laughs> New York Times thing to, to say about it. Yes, glamping is one of those things that I hear a lot about, and I think it's more popular in the media than actually popular among actual people, I suspect. Uh, yeah, it's it's also it's one of those words, especially as used here, that, that has its meaning gets very quickly divorced from what it is originally about. Since I don't think there's anything here that... I don't remember anything about talking about tents. It was very much about town centers just in um, non-urban areas. Yes. The only mention of actual camping was there was a startup in one of the revitalized towns called Tenter. That's tent with two R's on the end. Oh, it's, a glamping, it's a glamping startup. <laughs> okay. That, that makes sense. So I was completely fascinated by this article. It really talks about things that I think about a lot, especially the idea of economics of a small town, which is any time I talk to an, somebody who says, oh, I'm an economist, and if I talk to them long enough, at some point I'll end up asking, so how do small town economics work? Yes, that's something that I wonder about, especially when we drive from where we live down to the coast, we always take a back way and go through a lot of small towns. And when I first moved to this area, I wondered as we drove by, what do all these people do for a living? Because there are all these tiny towns we drive through. And of course you see houses and some of the houses are really nice. And you just wonder, it's not close to anything. How do these people get by? Or the little tiny towns you go through, you see these businesses and there just aren't many people around and you wonder how they survive and what the economics of it are. What have economists told you? Or I, I never presumed that, that there was much consulting going on in terms of um, feasibility, but it, so that was one of the things that a potential answer, I, I imagine it's not the universal answer, but for these sort of startup situations, one of the answers seems to be that if you have somebody who just owns all the real estate, they can just say, you can tell, especially like an, an art gallery, they can just tell the, the, the artist that, oh, just come and have your stuff, I won't charge you. And like you said, that works if the person who is owning the real estate is wealthy enough that they're doing this as sort of a, personal project or because they love the town. It is not necessarily 
an economically a good idea yet, <laughs> but you know it might be eventually. One reason that that this article drew my attention is last year when I was at a tech conference nearby in Colombia, um, I met a woman who she's a creative director of a creative firm that does photography and web design, and they are in well their address is in Hudson, New York, but Basically, she said that they had moved out to a smaller, more rural area of New York, and she said there are a lot of creative people doing the same thing because they don't want to be so close to the city. But the internet allows them to work remotely with people in bigger cities. And so there's kind of a, an artistic, creative revival going on in the small towns in that area. Like they're describing in this article, the main city in the article is Mountaindale, New York. So in, in that sense, it's almost like it's just creating a really, really far out bedroom community. And right. And the bedroom community is slowly becoming the community community as mm -hmm. more people move out there. So the town isn't as small as it was. And granted, I don't think Hudson, New York is really, at least not my idea of a small town, um, maybe a small city. But... It's just showing how technology is changing where people live and how they live. And that's something that they didn't really mention in this article. It's not talking much about technology being used in this. It's all very old-fashioned building buildings and getting businesses in. Yes, yes. And very much... There, what strikes me is is all of on the one hand they're marketing a sense of place and on the other hand the sense of place they're marketing sounds like every other sense of place in terms of making it look more like Brooklyn circa 10 years ago that's one way in which I thought that um, Butch Resnick the guy they describe as being the person behind uh, Mountaindale's revival, I thought he was really smart to hire the editor of that regional lifestyle magazine to curate the town. That seemed like a brilliant idea. I mean, I've seen plenty of small towns where people have tried to revitalize their main streets, but he actually hired someone who has a really good sense of what the town visitors and the people with money and the people who are looking for that particular sense of place want. Okay, I I must have missed a, a a detail. I when I read it, it sounded to me like the the woman he hired was uh, an editor at a sort of a very hit magazine. I did not realize that it had some sort of regional connection. Yes, it says the magazine is DV8. It's a regional magazine named for eight towns in the Delaware Valley that describes its audience as a stylish and sophisticated readership interested in exploring modern rural life. Okay. So uh, it's kind of like like a mini sunset magazine just for that part of the Northeast. Mm-hmm. And it, it did strike me also that I, I, having lived in the Philadelphia area, which is certainly can is part of the Delaware Valley, I had not made the connection, I guess I, I, I knew that the Catskills were nearby, but there's 
this real sense, um, especially with if you follow the say the career of Mel Brooks, and he grew up being a, a borscht belt comedian in, in the Catskills, and there's all the stories about how the Catskills were really that's where all of the Jewish families of New York went for summer camp. Okay, I didn't really put that together. So, and again, that's the place in Dirty Dancing where they go for the summer, right? The Catskills? Right. Okay. Yeah. I didn't know that, that this was part of that area that was an old-timey tourist destination. I know it says in there that there were hotels in the Borscht Belt, but I didn't really, I guess, understand what that meant as much as people in that area reading the New York Times probably would. And right. that's interesting that um, Philadelphia is kind of near there. I, I didn't put that together either. Well, I mean, it's, it's uh, I guess the Delaware Valley is pretty big. It's all of Delaware and Philadelphia. And I, I imagine if you, you probably follow the Delaware River up far enough, you uh, get further away from, get closer to New York, and that might be where they're talking about. It might be the first time I've heard Delaware and pretty big used in the same <laughs> sentence. <laughs> but I can see why that would be a good place to have a sort of tourist revival or revive small towns because it is a pretty area. I mean, it has a lot to recommend it. And I mean, people would want to vacation there. It would be, it's traditionally a place where people can go and see nature that's not too far away. Mm-hmm. And, and also one of these other uh, places that's dis- that's discussed the, the in West Virginia, that in a lot of ways is sort of the Washington DC or the Virginia area equivalent in terms of it's a, a place that that part of the uh, Appalachia is where in the past families have gone to vacation for a week or two weeks in the summer. So there's, there's sort of a theme here in terms of it, it being where, and there's still some, some families that do that. They'll go up for a week, but I think increasingly that's not that many people do that anymore. I wonder how much the decline of those sort of resorts is related to the fact that people just don't take long vacations anymore. I mean, who's going to take a two-week vacation into the mountains anymore, really? Right. Well, and, and I mean, the, the, a lot of these sort of traditions built up, you know, quite a while ago, before the advent of cheap air travel and uh, before Great Wolf Lodges were nearby and all sorts of other things. And I can imagine that, that they have... Uh, increasingly lost out to Disney World and Caribbean cruises and all sorts of things. That's true. There are a lot of, a lot more options nowadays that especially kids are going to clamor for. <laughs> I know we do take our annual beach vacation every year still, one week at the beach, and everybody in the family looks forward to that. And in a way that is kind of the old-fashioned vacation, and a lot of people I know around here do it, but mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe it's just because the beach is the beach, and everybody wants to go to the beach, and the theme parks have kind of come to us, in a sense. I mean, at Myrtle Beach, there's all kinds of attractions and things there, because they understand that people are still going to come and spend their week at the beach. 
Yeah. So, I mean, there's going to the beach and going to the mountains. And so it's the, I think the, the, the beach has been more ascendant and, but the, so it's almost like you need to do some reviving of the mountains and maybe as this uh, sort of bedroom community model. Yes. It's appealing not so much to the Myrtle Beach and Pigeon Forge crowd, but more to the, I don't know, what would you call them? This would be the glamping crowd, like it says. I, I, I wonder if they, if these places want to become Sedona. That's a good point. I think maybe, you know, Sedona, the very artistic place in New Mexico that's a little artist community. Well, not so little really anymore. Or is it, is it New Mexico or Arizona? Maybe it is. I'm going to have to look that up. I feel silly not knowing where Sedona is, but, or Asheville, North Carolina is kind of the same thing. And Asheville okay, okay, yeah. is the artist community with the fancy restaurants and everything. Although Asheville has the Biltmore house and the, um, the Vanderbilts living there. And that was sort of the foundation of what later became this great artistic and interesting community that you can visit. And I wondered about that because for all this, this talk about the shops, there wasn't much talk about the lodging, which I would think would be if, if the idea is that people are going to come up from the weekend, they have to stay somewhere. I wondered that too. And I'll tell you, my experience with something like this, um, I don't know if you remember, but a few years ago, I heard about this uh, art competition called Art Fields. And it was created by Darla Moore, who is um, an incredibly successful businesswoman. And Lake City, South Carolina, which nobody has ever heard of, is her hometown. And she has her family farm out there and she wanted to revive the town and she had this idea to create a big regional art competition with huge prizes and so i said well why not i'll enter this art competition and so i entered a piece and i got accepted and uh, my friend sally and i went to lake city for the opening show and mm -hmm. um, we needed a place to stay of course and there were only two places to stay in Lake City at the time. This was um, a little bit, I mean, Airbnb had just started, so there were not that many people using it, and I hadn't heard of it at that point. And there was one expensive boutique hotel, and it was full. And then there was, like, the... It wasn't a Motel 6, but that kind of place. And I forget exactly what brand it was. And I won't mention it because they probably don't want to be associated with this place. And that's where we stayed. And oh my gosh, it was just, oh, definitely a one star or one diamond <laughs> location, maybe a zero diamond location. It was just old and kind of nasty, but it was the only place in town to stay. And my thought was, well, this art competition is great and it was a lot of fun and it was neat and to see how they were reviving the town. But if they want people to come back every year, they're going to have to do a lot better job about finding places for people to stay around here. Mm -hmm. And that, and that's a, that definitely that chicken and egg sort of thing where you want to have a reason to go someplace in order to stay in, in the lodgings, but uh, you want some lodgings in order to go stay there. 
And this article talks about how, uh, as it stands currently, there is some life on the weekends, but it goes quiet during the week. Yes, and also it says in the winter. And in the winter. Where I imagine the weather isn't that great. Although I was thinking about um, Wardensville, West Virginia, and wondering if there is much snow up there in that part of the mountains, because I would love to take a snow trip to actually see someplace with some real snow, <laughs> since we don't get any down here. That might be uh, one, one way to get tourism. Well, be, I mean, so Wardensville is seems to be way up north in West Virginia, and there's there are a number of uh, resorts at Point South that are ski resorts. And I've, that's the last time I went skiing was at one of those. It was pretty good skiing. Okay, well then, then they have a chance for winter tourism because there are a lot of people, you know, south of North Carolina and and Point South who travel north to try and see snow in the winter. I mean, honestly, just to see it, not even to go skiing. Oh, sort of like people go on trips to go see the autumn leaves. We we drive hours to see snow. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Which probably sounds really silly to people up in places like Mountaindale, New York, who are like, here, have some of ours. <laughs> so another reason I thought this article was very interesting was that it's uh, a rare situation that, I don't know if you intended this or not, but it, it ends up being very um, of the moment, considering that just extremely recently, Amazon announced its additional headquarters, one yes. of which is just uh, just up the street for, from where I am. Yes, I was wondering how you felt about that, and it just so happened that this article coincided with that, where they're talking about you know, cultivating these old town Main Street businesses in ways that make towns feel homey and friendly and old-timey. And now you live in a town or city that really does try to cultivate its historic image. And then right nearby, you're going to get this influx of probably a lot of new construction. I and mean, how do you well, think that's going to affect things? I, I think, so I, I think the news, because the media is mostly, especially the non-political media, is mostly headquartered in New York. There's been much more discussion of New York, and also like maybe people around there are not as happy, and also they, there's a lot more uh, money kicked in. Here, people aren't that against it. I mean, they're worried about the traffic the same way that anybody's worried about any development, but the, um, the place where they're going in uh, these were all buildings that were built 50 years ago, and they were, uh, it was mostly defense and other governmental agencies that were all closed in the 2000s and have been pretty, and have been mostly empty for the past 10 years. So these and, are ugly old office parks that need to be fixed up anyway? It, I mean, it, very, it was very dense construction and it was sort of with integrated underground tunnels and an underground mall, but they've, they've lost, they've had, you know, 25,000 government employees that used to work there that don't anymore between, uh, especially the, uh, the Navy, 
I guess, had a lot of employees there. And then that was a, a base closure, essentially. That was 17,000 Navy employees right there. And so what's left is there are some, you know, other, some other companies have moved in a little bit, but if you get out there, there's, there's some kind of cool things and little bits of things remaining in the underground mall and a few ground level um, restaurants. But in the main part of where all the, the there's a bunch of, of high rises and it's mostly pretty dead and not very attractive. Uh, no, I don't know that anyone would mourn its uh, architectural loss. This sounds like a large scale version of what this article is about, where people are buying up sections of small towns to revitalize them. Amazon is essentially buying up big sections of a city to revitalize it, because it, it sounds like the infrastructure they need is mostly in place. Yes, yes. I And on the other hand, though, it's, this is a case where because of the, the contest nature, there was all this additional money that's being thrown at it to really make it feasible and to do additional infrastructure improvements and whatnot in a, in a place that, I mean, it, it could have eventually come back, but I'm, if you were a hip company, you probably didn't want to look there um, just because large buildings that were initially designed for the military are particularly hard to um, convert just because there's the, the, the buildings tend to be a little bit larger. And so there's more floor space without windows. Yeah. I can see how that would be very difficult, especially for smaller companies to make any use of. So speaking of large companies coming in and taking over, uh, did you follow the link to Walmart's new initiative that was in this article? I, I, I actually didn't uh, click on that, though I, I certainly noticed the, uh, the subhead of the piece is even Walmart wants to bring back ye old Main Street. And that, that reminded me of, a, of a, a Twitter response to the Amazon stuff where somebody was saying that they used to do real estate purchases for The Gap. And as uh, a, not quite an anchor tenant, but an almost anchor tenant, they noted that they could get real good deals on mall space because the malls really wanted them to stay around. Well, in this case, it's almost like Walmart is creating their own mall. It's a Walmart reimagined. And so you know how the traditional indoor shopping malls are on the decline and the new malls that are being created are these outdoor malls, more like Del Monte Shopping Center. Mm -hmm. Well, or outlets. Or outlets, yeah. Those are the two kind of things. And the outlets are often, they strike me as kind of strip malls. But if you imagine uh, Walmart crossed with Del Monte, that is Walmart reimagined. <laughs> and so they are trying to create this whole little outdoor mall experience, um, but it's part of Walmart. So it has, instead of a food court, it has little outdoor food shops or food shops with outdoor seating. It has green space. It has, you know, the pet grooming and all those little businesses that sometimes you see inside of a Walmart, they would be separate spaces. And so it's supposed to be a, a destination place. 
and they could have you know yoga classes there or um, little outdoor concerts there it's an interesting idea but the pictures I just finished watching um, the new Julia Roberts series called Homecoming on Amazon Prime and mm -hmm. their pictures look so much like the <laughs> wellness center that the evil corporation in that show has created. <laughs> so I think that colors my um, perception of it. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, I mean, that it, it, there, there really is that sense that, well, now that Walmart has killed the, the, the traditional Main Street, it wants to build it up again. Amazon killed the traditional bookstore and it's putting in bookstores and there's, uh, a reconstruction of the old models. I, I, I guess I, I haven't been to uh, Walmart recently enough to the, the this store within a store. I mean, other than I know that a lot of places, uh, you know, Kmart has Little Caesars in it and Target often has like a Starbucks, but is, there, is this kind of like that or something else? Oh, no, it's exactly like that. And okay. actually a friend of mine who's an architect used to design the indoor bank spaces for a lot of Walmarts. You know, when you walk in and, and there's a nail salon, a hair place, and you can get eyeglasses and they have a little bank there and it's all, and, and the subway and all that, and it's all inside, just okay. inside the front of the store. I, so the, the, the nail salon and the, the hair place, that I, that I've, I've never seen that before. Well, it's very handy uh, if you're getting your oil changed. <laughs> you need to wait a while. <laughs> that makes sense. Huh, so so their their uh, Walmart reimagined. So they would take an existing Walmart and then add space outside of it, or they would tear down some of the big box. I'm not exactly sure. They have at the bottom of the information about it. They have a list of projects that are underway in Colorado, Texas, and Washington, and they have one that's a prototype that's finished that's in uh, Texas, and it looks like at least from the picture, that it's just um, they're going to build a whole new facility. Um, maybe, I don't know if they're, usually the way that Walmart operates is they abandon the old store and build a new one in a new place. So it looks like that's what they would be doing here, just building a whole new place that looks like, looks like your typical modern outdoor trendy shopping mall, except that it's a Walmart. Huh. I imagine where they're building that is not in a out-of-the-way town that needs revitalization. No, it's probably going to be in some in the exurbs somewhere um, near a sizable town. That's what this looks like, at least in the pictures. It'll be interesting to see how that works. Um, going back to the original article, there's one place that I wanted to mention we hadn't discussed yet, which was Cerro Gordo, California, which is a little bit different than the other towns mentioned because these two guys bought the entire town. It's a ghost town, an old mining town, and nobody lives there except for one guy who's the caretaker, and they just bought the whole thing. <laughs> mm -hmm. And that seems pretty neat. They're actually doing, in that case, more of a historic renovation on places like the old saloon so people can go and see what these old frontier towns looked like. And they do plan to put in lodging and restaurants and stuff like that. But yeah. the town that they are reviving in this case, nobody's lived there for a long, long time. So 
they're not really picking up an economic engine that was faltering. They're creating a new one. Mm-hmm. Well, and certainly from the, it makes things easier from the perspective of um, relationship with the with the the locals. I mean, the the, the rattlesnakes don't file lawsuits. True. So. Although that is the one project where the article mentions that they said that they got a little bit of pushback from a nearby community mm-hmm. where they were worried about people coming in and gentrifying everything. And that that some does seem to be a really big issue going back to the idea of, of you know, what all the, the people who already live someplace and the economics might be a little opaque um, if, if the, the people who already live someplace, maybe they're commuting already because that's, that was the place where they could either that's the place where they grew up and now then they commute to the nearest job they can find, or that was the place where they could afford to live and commute to the expensive area. And then if the fancy people come in and raise the, the housing prices a bunch, then that really makes things tough. Yes. Like it says in the article, there's one person who complains about having to pay so much more for a gallon of milk. And then there's another lady who says that now she's thrilled that she can buy a gallon of milk in her town without having to drive so far. So Mm -hmm. I guess it swings both ways. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Artist Materialist. You can find us on the web at artistmaterialist.com. Please rate and review wherever you listen to this podcast and share with a friend who needs a mountain getaway.